Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. And if you're joining us via live stream this morning, we want to welcome you as well. Uh, what a, uh, a joy it is to be together in the Lord's house today and just to gather as the people of God, the living temple of, of God in, in whom Christ our Savior dwells. Amen? Amen. I want to give a quick thank you to all the folks who helped with yesterday's uh, breakfast and also our work day yesterday. We had a great time of fellowship early, uh, uh, some great cholesterol and God's Word, and then we went outside and did some work on the, on the property, and so just a, a real good day, got, got a lot done. Special thanks to Bill Emery uh, for breakfast, Andy Bradshaw for coordinating the work, and uh, Mark Simmons for bringing a piece of equipment to help us out and get a lot more done. So appreciate uh, everyone that was involved in the work day yesterday. We want to take just a few minutes and stand and greet one another. Uh, there's a number of you that are new, and we're glad you're here. Uh, if you see someone you don't know, go introduce yourself, and we'll come back together in just a few minutes. All right, if you'll make your way back to your pew and remain standing. Make your way back to your pew and remain standing. We want to read together from God's Word this morning out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. There it says, Therefore, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... To enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad this morning that you and I, through Christ, 
can confidently come to God. We can enter the holy places. We can come into the very presence of the living God by simply saying, Father. And because of what Jesus has done, we have access to the Father. We have a great priest over the house of God. We can draw near with full assurance of faith, knowing that holy God accepts us and calls us His children because in Christ we have been forgiven of all of our sins and we've been declared righteous through His work. And so the author of Hebrews said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without ever wavering, remembering that the one who promised, God Himself, is faithful. God cannot lie. And if He said that Jesus saves, then guess what? Jesus saves. If He said that that our hope eternal is secure, then that hope is as certain as the ground, more certain than the ground we're standing on. One day this ground will be burned up, but in Him we have a hope that cannot be moved. And yet so many that we know, your neighbors and, 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 and the nations around the world, do not have this hope. And so in, in, in just a few minutes, we're going to pray for those. But right now, and I'm sorry, you may be seated. Um, <laughs> we're going to have a, a highlight, one of our missionary highlights. We'll be receiving our quarterly foreign mission offering this morning. Uh, this is how we support our foreign missionaries uh, around the world is through a quarterly offering. And so we'll be receiving that on your way out this morning. But now I'm going to ask T uh, Tim Brooks to come and kind of highlight one, one of our uh, foreign missionaries that we support in Kenya. Can I just uh, stay right here? Would that be good? Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, glad to bring this uh, good message to you. This is a report uh, from the Kenyan mission field on the work uh, that, that we helped, that we participated in. Uh, and let me see if I can read this letter to you. We remain grateful for your love, prayers, and support. The Lord has been good to us, and he has been on our side. His love and compassion are new to us every day. We've gone through difficult times and a lot of challenges, but we've experienced the grace of God, which has been sufficient to us. It is therefore our testimony that the Lord has been our portion, and we remain dedicated to serve him in the mission field and remain faithful to the end. Our good Lord has continued to supply our needs, and we thank you also for your sacrifices in serving the Lord through your gifts toward the work of God in the Kenyan mission field. This has been a great help to us and the pastors and their families. Through your prayers and supports, you have contributed greatly to the obedience of the Great Commission. Many souls have been saved, and many have come to know Christ, love, and serve him. Thank you all for participating with us and partnering with us. We therefore want to express our gratitude to you all, and we would like to assure you of our continued prayers for your church, its needs, and families. May your good Lord, may our good Lord bless you and his love and compassion dwell amongst you all. You are a blessing to us, and we love you all. That's from Reverend and Mrs. Joseph Nadegwa and Reverend and Mrs. Harrison Wabiru in the Kenyan field. Isn't it awesome what we can be a partner of and we can participate in? Uh, it's it's a, a small thing to us to have open the tap and have clean water every day, but it's a major thing for people who live there to be able to collect rainwater or to drill a well and to have clean drinking water that they can use 
And it becomes the focal point of the community when the church can help supply that to them. So we've all participated in that, and they're all thankful for it. I want to thank you. Amen. Amen. That's just one of several uh, foreign mission works that we uh, as a church support. The, the back story, for those of you that are newer with us or maybe visiting with us and don't know, um, this location there in Kenya was where uh, the former pastor of, of the church here, now uh, pastors over at Covenant Community um, Church, he, uh, his, he, his parents were there for, I don't even know, they were in Africa for a total of 63 years, and they're both buried in Kenya. Um, and so this is the work that he has left behind, and, and now there are a couple of the Kenyan pastors that he trained and, and brought up that are serving now as associate missionaries with the mission board that uh, the, uh, David and Elwanda Fields were we're serving with, and so we continue to support uh, a solid and, and, and thriving work there in Kenya, um, thriving on the spiritual level, sometimes struggling on the physical level, and it was a privilege for uh, us as a church, uh, and you may or may not have known this, but we were able to uh, send $5,000 to provide those tanks in, in various churches that you saw so they can collect the rainwater. So when you give on, to quarterly offerings, this is what you're uh, support goes to, to, to fund, and, and, and these are the kind of ministries that, um, that we support. Thanks to Tim and the Foreign Missions Committee, they do a real good job. They're, they take a lot of time and spend a lot of energy to make sure that the missionaries we support are solid in the faith, that they are doing, doing the work, and, 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 uh, and, and, and to keep open lines of communication so that we know what's going on with them uh, consistently so we can share with you um, on occasion. So, Thank you guys, and uh, keep that in mind as you give. Again, we'll do that on the way out. There's two receptacles in the back as you go out, one for the regular offering and one for the missions offering. Let's pray together. Father, today we pray for our brothers and sisters in Kenya, especially the pastors and their families there, as they minister in those communities. Father, we pray for those who've yet to come to know Christ there, that you would use the love and service and the preached word, the gospel preached, Father, to bring them to Jesus. Father, we pray that you would continue to uh, use and grow our partnership to extend the work of the gospel, to provide for the needs there. Uh, Father, to show practical love, um, very practical love to our brothers and sisters in Kenya. Lord, we want to pray today for our brother, uh, Jim Leslie, as he ministers even, even this morning uh, doing some evangelism classes along with several other Gideons locally here in town. We pray also, Father, as he leaves on February the 20th for another trip to Burundi uh, that you go before him. God, this morning we want to lift up the family of Hayden Pritchett. We pray, Father, for comfort and strength. Father, thank you for a life well lived and, 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 and walk, uh, a strong walk with you, Lord, and, and just a testimony there. Father, we want to lift up George Wright. We pray, especially this morning, for Natalie Grace Johnson, um, uh, Pat and Johnny's granddaughter who will be having cranial surgery in the morning. Uh, how we pray for her and her parents, and, and just ask God that you would uh, just, just use the hands of the surgeons uh, in, in this delicate surgery. And, and Father, thank you that 
uh, it's possible. Thank you that you are the great physician. Lord, we pray for Mary Milton and pray for her continuing recovery, Freddie's mom. We lift up Virginia Holder and Ann as she cares for her. We pray for Teddy Milton and Billy Duncan, for George Wester and Wilburn DeFore, and Denise Key and Steve Eller, for Chris Hanley, for Carol Kemp and Liz Clark, for LaJean Aiken, for Angie and Larry Callahan, for Miss Pat Hamby and Miss Fran Waddell, for Tina Johnson and Jeff Wall, for Susie Cochran and Annette Corson. And Lord, we add to our list this morning Margaret Diggs, Dixie Stewart's mom, who's been placed in hospice care. Father, thank you that you see and know each one. Your presence is there. And we pray, God, that you would just comfort and strengthen, bring healing, God, where that is your will for your glory. And Father, bring comfort and strength and endurance. Uh, bring uh, the love of Christ through your people around these um, in the middle of all the, the adversity and the difficulties that they face. Father, thank you that we can come to you in prayer, all because of the finished work of Christ, because Jesus opened up a new and living way, and we can then cast all our cares on you because you care for us, and we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together in song. Let's all stand together, get our exercise in this morning. We're going to sing same power as Jason leads us.
seated. God, we praise you. You are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We praise you and we thank you for who you are and that you've revealed the beauty and the glory of who you are to us through the Word of God. Father, I thank you that the gospel of Jesus Christ, thank you that in our lives it has run and overcome our hard, sinful hearts. And, and Father, I thank you as we just sang, it will not kneel and it will not fade and it is running the world over through your church, building the kingdom of God, rescuing men, women, boys, and girls from the chains of sin, from the darkness of false religions and the lies of the enemy and setting people free and saving them forever. And though we don't see near as much of it as we would like to see, we don't know about all that's going on, Lord, thank you that the gospel is running even in the worst places in the world. That your church is growing, the gospel is overcoming darkness in places like China and Iran and the world over, in places we wouldn't think or might be tempted to think that it couldn't be victorious, and yet it is. Father, I pray that you would allow us, as your people, right here in this place where we enjoy so much freedom, where we are so rich in gospel truth, God, may the gospel run in our lives by changing our lives. May we be sold out for Christ in a way that shakes Gilmer County. And may the gospel run across Gilmer County through us. And may we not be content with any less. Father, thank you that you've made us your sons and daughters, that you've made us to be part of your everlasting family. And we need you to be our teacher now as we open your word. So come, teach us and change us, Father. And God, for anyone in the room today who's yet to trust you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they run to Jesus. We wait on you now. We need you, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Turn within your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as you're finding that, will be dismissed to Children's Church.
Hebrews chapter 11. We talked about this a little bit last week, and so we'll just kind of pick up where we, two weeks ago, I should say, where we left off. Who are your people? We've all got our people. On the physical level, I come from the Kellys and the Coxes. Those are my physical um, ancestors that I descend from. Um, we talked a little bit about it. We got a couple of uh, genealogy um, geeks in the room that love to study genealogies. Uh, by the way, just a warning if you're new in LJ and you ask anybody in our church that's native, <clears throat> this is a really dangerous question. If you ask them about their people, um, you should probably brew a pot of coffee, find a comfortable chair, because I'm still learning about connections across Gilmer County after having been here and known some of these folks for 30 years. And so, um, just be ready. Um, and yet, we all have our people. It's good to know who your people are, those people that uh, not only are your, are your family, physical, earthly family, but, but those, those people who are, who, who are committed, loyal to you as friends. But for us as Jesus followers... We need to know on the spiritual level who our people are. We need to know on the level of faith in Christ, what is this family that we have, as Scripture says, been born again into? Who are they? What are they all about? And the reality is, the reason we need to know that, the reason it's so important is that our spiritual family is our only forever family. They are our forever people who along with us will eternally live in the presence of our Father and our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even Jesus himself will see him face to face forever and we will be an eternal family. As we continue our study in the book of Hebrews the author of Hebrews' main point throughout this letter is don't forget who Jesus is. And then you can put in parentheses, and then live like it. Live in light of who he is. Live like he's who he said he is. Let who Jesus is change your life. And so at the end of chapter 10, we read nearly to the end earlier, but in, in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, it says, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Our confidence in Christ as our Savior, as our way to God, as the one through whom we have access to God. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And then verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We need to hold on to our confidence. You have need of endurance so that we can inherit what's been promised in the end. There are those who will profess Christ and they will shrink back. Jesus told us that when he was here on earth. He said when things get tough, some their love will grow cold and they'll walk away. But the author of Hebrews says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve 
their soul. And as chapter 11 begins, it's as if the author says, and now here are your people. Here are our people. I just told you, you're not of those that shrink back. You're of those who believe, who have faith, who hold faith strong and to the salvation of their souls. Now, here is who those folks are, our people. The take-home from the whole of chapter, of 11, chapter 11 as we work our way through it is this. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior, King. What we can learn, the stuff we can learn, the truths we can learn, the, the helpful, practical things we can gather from our forefathers' faith, even as we run our race of faith. And so we pick it up in Hebrews chapter 11. Our focus will be in verses 17 to 22 this morning, but I want to back up to verse 13. In verse 13, having talked about uh, several heroes of the faith, including um, uh, Abel and, and, and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, he, he pauses for a minute and he, and he describes all of these people really throughout the chapter that he's listing. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And then, the author goes back, beginning in verse 17, into the life of Abraham one more time. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. These are our people. And understanding the faith of our forefathers can, it should, spur us on and our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're going to be looking at verses 17 and 22, but we're going to skip verses 17 and 19 for now, and we're going to end up back there in a few moments. So, let's first pick it up in verse 20. Check out verse 20. By faith Isaac invoked... invoked <laughs> that was good. That's not a word. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Real simple truth I want you to see here about Isaac's faith. Isaac's faith, and point number one this morning is this, faith, it was faith that believed God's promise was about an eternal inheritance. Isaac's faith was a faith that believed it was more, about more than just what God was doing in his lifetime, which by the way was a lot, 
And when we get to the end, that is going back to verses 17 and 19, we'll see that. We've already seen it earlier in the chapter. If you want to see this whole story, which we're not going to take the time to do, go to Genesis chapter 27. Go back and read the story. You'll remember it, just kind of a quick summary. Jacob and Esau were twins, but of the two, who was the oldest? Esau. It's not a trick question. Esau was the oldest. And so what was supposed to happen? Esau was supposed to be blessed by his father. All all of the family blessing was to go through the eldest son, Esau. And yet, through Jacob's deception, he received the blessing from Isaac. None of that is really in focus here in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews doesn't go back and try to figure all that out and how God, in spite of all that mess, worked and accomplished his will. He simply says that by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac, if you'll remember, is the son of who? Abraham, that we've just been reading about. A couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that Isaac was the son of promise. God comes to an old couple, 80-something years old, and says, Hey, y'all going to have a baby. Never been able to have a baby your whole life. At this point, their bodies are beyond reproduction on a human level, and yet God says, Sarah is going to conceive a son by you, Abraham. I'm going to do a miracle, and what didn't work before is going to work with y'all. I'm going to give you a child of promise, and through that heir, I'm going to bless the world. Not just Israel, but I'm going to build a nation and then through the nation of Israel bless the world. We know by sending a Savior. Isaac, the son of promise, the one that God had miraculously given to Abraham and Sarah, he understood that the promise was about much more than just him. I mean, hey, let's face it. He was kind of a big deal. He shouldn't have been. He was a miracle child, literally. But Isaac understood it, that God's promise was more about, more, was about more than just him. It was about a nation to start, but ultimately a Messiah who would save a people and take them to the heavenly city that God built for them. Remember in verses 13 through 16, it says that all these folks confessed that they were strangers and aliens on this earth and they were looking for a heavenly city. They weren't from here. They were on their way home be with God. And Isaac's faith believed God's promise was about an eternal inheritance. But secondly this morning, as we move to verse 21, we see Jacob's faith. Notice here, Jacob's faith was faith that believed God's promise in spite of circumstances contrary to the promise. Verse 21, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You can go back and find this story in Genesis 49. Again, we're not going to go there. We're not going to look there this morning and read the whole thing. But here's the deal. Jacob is in where when he dies? Loud because my ears are stopped up. He's in Egypt. What did God's promises have to do with? Egypt? Or another place? Another place called Canaan. 
So Jacob's in Egypt, not Cain in the land of promise. He, in fact, it's even worse than that. He's not just there because he wanted to go. He's not just there on vacation. He and his whole family have had to flee to Egypt to avoid dying from famine back in Canaan. His son Joseph, you'll remember, having provided for all of them from his place of power in Egypt, food and sustenance and a place to live. You remember the story? It's an awesome story. Joseph, uh, the favored son, all of his brothers jealous of him and their father's love for him, so they sell him into slavery. He ends up a slave in Egypt, and yet God exalts him to the throne, and God uses Joseph to preserve his family. But as Jacob gets ready to die, he's still in a foreign land, sustained and not starving, but in Egypt. Remember, Jacob's faith was faith that believed God's promise in spite of circumstances contrary to the promise. As one commentator said, things are going the wrong direction. Rather than looking like they're being made into a great nation that blesses the earth, they're guests in someone else's country living off of handouts. I, I, I just wonder, do you ever look around and, and, and think, maybe in your own life, this is not how things are supposed to be going in my life. This is not the plan. This was not the plan when I started do you, do I allow confusing circumstances to cause you to begin to question the promises of God? You know, Jacob could have. And yet Jacob looks to the future with hope and expects to have his bones, that text tells us, buried. Where? Not where he died, in Egypt, but in Canaan. He doesn't know how that's going to happen. No clue. He just knows that God made his daddy a promise, and before him his daddy a promise, that he was going to make him a great nation, and that they were going to be in a particular land, and through that nation there would come a Messiah who would build a heavenly city for them one day, and that's where they would ultimately live. Jacob's was a faith that believed God's promise in spite of circumstances contrary to the promise. Thirdly, notice Joseph's faith in verse 22. Joseph's faith was faith that believed God's promise and encouraged by all that God had done to preserve his people, prophesied the exodus. Joseph's faith, a kind of faith that that knew the promise of God and believed it, and even in God's working through Joseph, prophesied the coming exodus. Exodus, verse 22, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And those directions were, don't bury him here because this ain't home. We're going home. We're going to Canaan. Bury me there. Now, had God revealed the Exodus at this point? He said anything about the Exodus at this point? No, not until Joseph starts hinting to his family about the Exodus. We're getting out of here. 
God's used this place. God put me in power. God used me to preserve you guys here for a time. But this is not the end of the story. It's not, this is not the destination on earth of the promise on the way to the heavenly city. We're going back to Canaan. In Genesis 50, verse 24, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God made us a promise, and he's going to keep it. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Joseph's faith was a faith that believed God's promise, and encouraged by all that he'd done to preserve the people of God in Egypt, prophesied the exodus out of Egypt. I wonder in your life, have you seen God's faithfulness enough to believe Him for an uncertain future? Have you watched God do in your life exactly what He's said in His Word that He'll do enough times to where you can trust Him with an uncertain future? Here's the deal. If, you, if you've walked with Him any length of time at all, the answer for you is absolutely yes. Yes, you have. For some of us more than others. Some of us have seen God be faithful time and time and time again. And it should be nothing for us to trust Him with the uncertainty that we face today. And yet we struggle, don't we? And that's why we have Hebrews 11. Joseph was a faith that believed God's promise and encouraged by all that God had done to preserve His people, prophesied the exodus. But finally, and really mainly, back to verses 17 through 19. Abraham's faith was faith that believed God's promise enough to do the illogical in obedience because he believed God could do the impossible. Abraham's faith was the kind of faith that believed God's promise enough to do the illogical in obedience to God because he believed God could do the impossible. Verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now we're going to go to Genesis 22 and check this story out because it's good. It's amazing. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14, if you have your Bibles. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Do what? God, what did I miss? I mean, if I'd, been, if I'd been Abraham, that's how I'd have been. I mean, God, 
Sarah laughed when you said you were going to give us Isaac, but you came and you said, you're going to have a son. And sure enough, you gave us this son of promise. In, in fact, God, you said that it's through this boy, and only through this boy, that you're going to do everything you've promised to me that you, you would do to bless the rest of the world. God, what am I missing? I don't understand. I, I mean, that made me want to, you know, draw up close and, and kind of get that channel adjuster. And I mean, I must be having some, there must be some static in our connection, God. I don't under, I can't hear you clearly because this makes no sense. What you just said to do doesn't go with what you've already done. And yet, what does Abraham say? So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. Notice what he says. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, both, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. You reckon he was crying by now? Here I am, son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. For a burnt offering, my son. So they both, they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. Wow. What faith. Through Isaac, I'm going to bless the world. Only through Isaac. Not through Ishmael, Abraham, no. Abraham, 
I want you to travel to Moriah, and Isaac is going to be a burnt offering to me. This is how I want you to worship me, Abraham. And Abraham goes. And our text says he was in the act of offering up his only son. That's because the knife was in his hand. It was raised, ready to plunge into Isaac's heart and kill him and do exactly what God said for him to do. Even though he knew it was through Isaac, God said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. What was the secret? It was verse 19 of Hebrews 11. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, Abraham had some problems with his faith along the way, didn't he? He had some, we were talking about this on Wednesday night, he, his faith wasn't always strong. He vacillated. Remember, Sarah laughed initially at the promise about Isaac because of their age. But by this point, Abraham trusted God. He believed that when God said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. In fact, he believed that if God said to do something illogical, it would be all right because that just means God's going to do something impossible. And so when he looked at those two guys he brought with him and said, we're going to go over there, y'all stay here, we're going to go over there and worship. Me and my son are going to go over there and worship, and we're going to come Again, when we're done, we're going to come back to y'all. How could he say that? The plan was Isaac's supposed to die on that mountain. No indication that God had told Abraham that there's going to be a ram hung in a thicket up there. No indication from God to stop until the last second. He just believed that he was going to do what God said do, and God would raise the dead. And that sounds crazy to us. But maybe it's just because we don't know our God well enough. What a test of Abraham's faith, and what a provision God makes for the sacrifice. We could spend another 30 minutes, which we won't do. <laughs> but if you don't see Jesus in the middle of this, you've got to be blind, right? <laughs> I mean, God provided a ram. And it might not have been in exactly the same spot. We believe Mount Moriah was the was the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. But it was basically on the same ridge, we'd say, in Georgia. Grant, you tracking with me? Might not have been in the same spot where we heard that turkey gobble, but it was on the same ridge where we saw him. And the point being, just outside the city, Hebrews 13 will tell us later, on a hill, again, just about the same altitude on a hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. The Lamb of God was sacrificed. God provided a lamb.
Now, we could talk about it, and, and we will talk about, but, you know, we, we look at that and we think, man, you've heard preachers say it. What's your Isaac? It's a good question. There's nothing wrong with that question. You should think about that question. Because what that question will do, at the very least, will identify an idol in your life. It'll tell you what is probably keeping you from fully worshiping God and, and, and fully giving Him your heart and surrendering to Him. If there's, if there's something that you can't part with or kill or put to death or throw away or get rid of. What a test of Abraham's faith. But here's what I want you not to miss in, this, in, in, the, in the larger context of Scripture. Jesus calls us to a daily test of faith. You know what Jesus says in Luke 9, verses 23 and 24? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, sometimes we misunderstand what Jesus means when he says to take up our cross daily. This idea of taking up our cross daily is not what we at first blush think it is. Many people interpret this idea of taking up the cross to be, uh, this, 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 this cross is to be taken up as to be some burden they must carry in their lives, a, a strained relationship, a thankless job, a physical illness. And then with self-pitying pride, they, they look at the difficulty and say, that's the cross I have to carry. But that is not the point. That's not the idea of what Jesus is saying here when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. You see, when a person... Jesus' hearers would have clearly understood and a picture would automatically come to mind. When a person carried a cross in Jesus' day, no one thought of it as a persistent annoyance or symbolic burden. To a person in the first century, carrying your cross meant one thing and only one thing. It meant that you were moving toward the place of crucifixion. You didn't carry your cross for kicks. You carried your cross to the execution place because you're going to die. The Roman government is fixing to put you to death by the cruelest of deaths on a crucifix. And in fact, they're so cruel, you got to carry your own cross to the place you'll die. The most painful and humiliating death ever developed in, among humanity. Therefore, Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow me is a call to self-abasement, a call to self-sacrifice. Let's just say it, a cross, a call to crucify yourself. One must be willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Dying to self is, an absolute, is absolute surrender to God. And so what that all boils down to is this. If you want to follow Christ, being committed to Christ, it means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, your dreams, your possessions, your own life, putting them all to death, in fact, 
whatever it takes in order to follow Jesus and be faithful to Him. And Jesus says in Luke 14, 27, that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not just a super spiritual deal reserved for the super spiritual. If you want to be next level with Jesus, then you got to die to yourself every day. In fact, you got to crucify your desires, your ambitions, all that every day that, to make sure you're following in Jesus' steps and his plan for you today. It's not for next level, it's for entry level. It's for everybody who would follow Jesus. You know, Abraham did not know that God would provide an actual ram for the required sacrifice. Now, you say, you may, you may think back to the text that we read in Genesis, and you say, but he, he told Isaac that God would provide a lamb. Okay, well, first of all, a lamb's not a ram. Y'all with me? This thing's got horns, it's full grown. Just saying. The point is, he literally thought, son, you're it. You're the sacrifice. Abraham did not know that God would provide an actual ram for the required sacrifice. But hear me, don't miss this. This is the whole point of the message right here. If you've been zoning out, focus in, listen. But unlike Abraham, we already know that God has provided the lamb who takes away our sins and makes us righteous in God's sight and makes us his children by adoption that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. We already know that Jesus rose from the dead victorious over sin and death and hell. We already know that Jesus is right now seated at the Father's right hand eternally interceding for us. We already know that our Savior reigns over all as King and is working all things together for good, the good of those of us who love Him. We already know that we will one day see Him face to face and forever live in His presence in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. We already know that whatever we have to kill of our own dreams or desires, we already know that, hear me, that it is and will eternally be worth it. For as we read earlier this morning, for he who promised is faithful. Because God is going to do what he said he will do. And that means if I am for real going to end up in the new Jerusalem, then whatever he asked me to put to death today and again tomorrow and that different thing on Tuesday and whatever else on Wednesday, whatever self-crucifixion looks like that I can follow my Lord and Savior, the shepherd of my soul, then hear me, it is worth it. It's worth it. And we already know, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work 
in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? You know it. But do I believe it? We already know all of that. So why is it so hard for us to do the illogical in obedience to God, knowing already because of Jesus' death and resurrection that He can and has done and will do the impossible? You see, we're not of those who shrink back from radical, self-denying, self-crucifying faith into a comfortable profession of love to Jesus that actually in practicality looks a whole lot like the godless world around us and a whole lot like people that don't, or at least are not convinced, that Jesus is worth it, and our hope in Him is sure. We're not of those people, but of those who persevere in faith to the salvation of their soul. You see, Abraham's faith was a faith that believed God's promise enough to do the illogical in obedience, because he believed God could do the impossible. He didn't know what that looked like in his life. We already know he sent Jesus and raised him from the dead, the impossible. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, there is nothing I'll ever face, there's nothing you will ever face that he can't sustain you through, that He won't keep you through, that He can't enable you to walk through in faith and obedience. These are our people. From the world's perspective, that Casting Crown song we looked at a couple weeks ago, these are our crazy people. Understanding the faith of our forefathers should Spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior. You see, we have to remember every day. We have to remember on a daily basis, 2 Peter 3, 13 and 14, but according to His promise, we are waiting. What are, what are you waiting for in life? Can I just tell you, if it's anything less than what I'm about to read, it's not enough. And you're, you're cheating yourself. You're, short, you're shortchanging yourself. But according to His promise, we are waiting. We're waiting on the same thing these guys were waiting on in Hebrews 11. We're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish. In other words, living in obedience to Him, even if it's illogical and at peace. Let me tell you where real peace is. This is what that verse means. Real peace is living today knowing that the new Jerusalem is my home. The presence of Jesus is my real home. And everything between here and there is just part of the journey. It's important, but that's home. And I'm going to be there as certain as I've ever been anywhere. In fact, more certainly. And what does that city look like? Y'all knew we had to go back to Revelation 21 and 22 before we were over, didn't you? Let me just get another little drink right here because we're going to run right through it. Okay? So hold on. It's not on the screen. I don't think. It's on the screen. Okay. Doug's better than me because I didn't put it in my 
my notes. So here it is, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. I'm not doing all we did a couple weeks ago, just a shorter version of it. And I don't know why I'm apologizing about that, how long I read about the new Jerusalem, because here's the deal. It's the best thing you've ever heard of. It's better than whatever's going on later today. And I know what's going on later. It's better. Better than lunch. Y'all all right? All right, listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Remember what, remember what Hebrews said? They were waiting on a city that had foundations, whose designer and builder was who? God. This is that city. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. I don't know about you, but that's important. I want to be one who conquers. Some won't conquer. They thought they would get this heritage, but they won't conquer. Why? Because they will turn their back on Christ before it's all said and done. They will profess Jesus, but live like the world. And one day hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. You, you say, Lord, Lord, like, like, like you're, part of the you're not part of the family. Because you didn't really believe the New Jerusalem was real. You wanted some hell insurance. You wanted to miss hell but you didn't believe I was better than the stuff of the world, and you never, you never crucified your desires to follow me. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, any, for, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life today? Have you trusted Jesus? Verse, 20, uh, verse 3 of chapter 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. They will see His face. Can you imagine? And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We got to remember that every day. We got to remember that that is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to us in Jesus Christ. Is the new Jerusalem real to you? Can you see it? 
like the Old Testament saints, it says in verses 13 to 16, could see it. Have you greeted it? Do you confess to be sojourners here on earth? And am I living like I'm a stranger in this place? Are you convinced that your best life is far more than your life here on earth in L&J? Do you live in light of the truth of the gospel that your best life is yet to come? We got in trouble for showing that video to y'all the other day, so we can't do it again. But, oh well. The lyrics to that song by Casting Crowns goes like this. Who sees the world as a mission field? Who talks to Jesus like he's real? Who believes the words in red? Who says he's coming back again? Crazy people. Crazy people trust in Jesus, following him wherever he leads us. Kingdom seekers, walk by faith believers. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Here's to all God's crazy people. You see, these are our people. This is the people we're part of when we come to Christ. This is how we're to live our lives. That's the point. You got it, right? I got a note from one of our missionaries this week, and I just hadn't planned to share this, but I want to share it because I thought it was good. So, so like, what does it look like to, to do the illogical because you believe God can do the impossible? And by the way, this is one of those things. I don't want you to miss, and I don't want you to hear me over, try to overshadow, there are Ill- illogical things God calls you to do every day. Makes no sense to you, make no sense to the world around you, right? Some of y'all are nodding because you know it's true. Just little things. I mean, sometimes it's illogical to be that honest in business. Let's just say it. Nobody would care. You would make more money. And yet the God who sees all would see. And somewhere along the line, that integrity will be a witness that just might open the door for someone to be rescued from hell. To hear the good news of Jesus. So here's what the, one of our missionaries wrote. During a conversation about cross-cultural missions, someone recently said to me, I feel so weak here, that is, in this foreign place. I thought, you know, so do I. But I've come to realize, as I told our friend, that is exactly the point. That's the glory of our God. He takes weak, sinful, fragile humans and uses us to do His work. He gets all the glory because when we are weak, He is strong. Who would think? Think about logical, illogical. Who would think it's a good idea to send people around the world to a new country where they don't speak the language, don't know how to get groceries, and are confused by the medical system? And then think they would be able to accomplish anything Besides maybe surviving, it's an idea so strange that only the God who sent his son to the cross would come up with it. And only God can equip and enable us to do it. Our weakness shows his glory, and we pray that it is seen more and more. Is your faith like Abraham's faith? 
that believes the promise of God enough to do the illogical in obedience to Him because you believe He can do the impossible in your life. I don't know what that means for you. But here's the deal. It means something. It means something for me. It means something for you. It means something today in your life. There is something God is calling you to do. And maybe it's something, I mean, maybe it's something that's real black and white. Like it's not some big major life calling. It's just a matter of obedience. And you know exactly what it is. He says, do it, and you're not doing it. He says, don't do it, and you're still doing it. And you just can't make sense out of it. What is it? Do you trust his promise enough to do what's illogical, believing he, he, will, he will do the impossible? You see, to hold fast our faith in Christ, to live flat-out crazy lives of faith in this world should be easy compared to the faith required of our forefathers because we have the fullness of God's revelation, the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We already know what he can do. We already know that he's done the impossible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he today? And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is at our destination. He is in the home God has prepared for us. We are going to see him. So run with endurance. Shed the distractions, every weight. That's not necessarily things that are sinful. That's stuff that just slows you down in this eternal pursuit, this spiritual race of faith, trusting Jesus, obeying Him, doing what it, what it, whatever He tells us to do, going wherever He calls us to go, but also the sin which clings so easily, so closely. And then run the race with endurance, understanding the faith of our forefathers, should spur us on in our race of faith as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our resurrected Savior King. Let's pray. Father, for the gospel, we praise you. For Hebrews chapter 11, we praise you. For these encouragements to persevere in the faith, to remember what we know of the gospel and through the gospel and to not shrink back but to live radical from the world's standpoint crazy lives of obedience even, our four, even as our forefathers did they did it with a whole lot less light of revelation from heaven and yet we live in the full blazing sun of the gospel Help us, O oh Lord.
I pray, Father, whatever it is that's illogical in our lives that you're calling us to do, from obeying a, simp obeying a simple command in Scripture where we're living and choosing to live in sin instead, to serving someone practically, to doing something crazy like giving our bonus from work to foreign missions, to rearranging our schedule to where we can spend time volunteering at one of our local ministries, or developing a relationship with a neighbor who we know needs Jesus. Are leaving it all and going to places where the gospel's not yet been heard, that it can be heard there. Whatever it is. And that small thing you'll call us to do in the morning before we go to work or on the way to work or once we get there, that small act of obedience where we die to ourselves, God help us to do the illogical because we believe you can do the impossible. Lord, again, we pray for any who've not trusted Jesus as Savior that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and, and respond in worship. This altar's open for you to come and pray however you might need to do that today as a people of God. We'll be right here to receive um, anyone who needs to, to, to meet Jesus today as your personal Lord and Savior. The doors of our church are open to receive members however we can. So you respond as we sing.
Amen, amen. You may be seated. Just a couple of announcements before.